and Luke. Who are you? Uh, okay, then. Ron Wolfley. Ron Wolfley. What is up? <laughs> Witchbuster. Extraordinaire. Love that guy. Luke Lipinski. Yay. Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Live from the Auction Community Studios on this Thursday morning, it is the Wolf and Luke Show, but this is not Wolf that's here today. Kellen Olson is back. Kellen. Boy, <laughs> what, what a rousing response to yourself right there. I'm happy. I'm here. I, I'm trying to think of how much things have changed with the sun since we last did a show. Oh, I don't know. Two days ago, I feel like they've changed a lot. Nice win over Memphis. All right, I feel better about things. What was I thinking? Why was I Why was I concerned about this team? And then a game against Washington last night that as I watched it, I thought to myself, I haven't felt this way watching the Suns since 2018. So there you go. <laughs> That's where we've been in the last two days since we've done a show together. Yeah, there, there have been far too many losses this year that aren't necessarily that bad by any means because I had a running joke. Uh, do you remember when Earl Watson was fired three games into the year yes, and then I, Jay Triano took over? Yeah. That year, I had a running joke where in the first game, it was against the Blazers, they lost by 50 or whatever, and I was like, a 5-0 Suns run cut the Portland lead down to 47. And I had this I running... That. Unless you've done that tweet more than once, I remember that tweet. I have, like, I've retweeted a couple of times just to remind people, like, hey, this is how bad it was. Yeah. And it, like, it is not nearly that bad, but a couple of these games, it's just, it gets out of hand so quickly, and I think the the biggest point of frustration, I think, for, for the fan base right now is, like, look, like, the speaking from the people who have them uh, in my mentions nonstop and yell at me about anything because they need to yell at someone about it, I guess. They can't just do it on their own account. I, what I <laughs> You feel, just incited a bunch more, by the what way. What I feel from them is is just, which I think it's you need to come out of the gates better, especially when it is known for four or five straight games now, they have been down 8, 10, 12, 15 within the first six, seven minutes of the game. It happened again here in the Washington game. They were quickly down, I believe, 11 or even even close to 15. Well, Kuzma had nine points in like the first three and a half minutes. Is it, you talking about the other game or this one? Oh, this one, the one last Oh, night. he did it in both. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. But, but that's the type of thing where you're just putting yourself in this early hole and with the position they're in with injuries, you have to know, you have to have a mindset change where you cannot allow all these efforts because guess what you play really good sons basketball in the third quarter to get it down to just one that's how hard it is to just get it down to one against a washington wizards team that's not really that good and then you turn it off for three minutes and the game's over yeah that's it was they got it to 83 82 but you just said it right there you had to fight so long to get back to within one against the Wizards. And I'm tired of making Kyle Kuzma look good, and I'm really tired, and it's only happened once, of making Rui Hachimura look good. I mean, after the conversation earlier this week, would you rather have Hachimura for Jake Crowder? Vince Murata was like, yeah, well, at least he plays. And he put up like 28 last night. Don't you love a good, you don't want to trade for me according to the reports revenge game, apparently? (laughs) That's what it was? He was just taking all the shots at the end of the game. No, I want to be clear. I I wasn't watching that game frustrated like, oh, this is terrible. Like it was three or four years ago. That was just that. That felt like the first time in a while, Kellen, where I sat there and watched the game, and I was like, "It doesn't matter right now. They have to do something. This team, as it's currently constructed, cannot cannot win what they should be capable of." And people keep talking about like, "Well, is the championship window closed?" This is what I would say. It feels like it's closed right now, but the championship store right outside the window. So if you just prop the window back open, you still have a chance. But if you're just going to sit here and not do anything, you're going to lose to Washington by twenty plus points. 
Yeah, I don't care if half the roster is out. And guess what? Like pretty much half the roster is out right now. But I yes. don't care if half the roster is out. The way that this roster is constructed and the quality of players that they have, I think that uh, Kevin Zerman, who's going to join us later in the show, we have the Empire of the Suns podcast, and something we talked about about four or five weeks ago when it looked like, oh yeah, the Suns are just going to be an elite defensive team again. Like Jay Crowder's gone, they didn't really add anyone. It doesn't matter. They're going to be an elite defensive team. And you go up and down their roster. You go, is Devin Booker at least an average defender or better? Yeah. Is is Chris Paul? Well, the guy who has like nine All Defense teams, he's decent. He, he's in there. He's all right. Yeah, DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, the yeah. guy who finished second in Defensive Player of the Year voting, Mikel Bridges. Yeah, Tory Craig. That's what he's known for. Especially then you go to the bench, like Landry Shamit. has been impressive there. Campaign was much better at the start of the year. You go through the rotation, Damian Lee, all that championship experience he has in the Warriors, so on and so forth. You go through this roster and you just say, from an individual basis, everyone is at least an average defender or better. So it's unacceptable for them to look like this defensively. I keep referencing this date over and over again, and I'm repeating myself on it because of how important it is. After the 10-game mark, so looking at November 8th, so it's nearly been two months now, they're 24th in defensive rating since then. It's not even the fact that that they're... I saw that story, and it was mind-boggling. It's not even the fact that they're a top five, they're no longer a top five, top ten defense. They are a very bad defensive team right now. Very bad. Like, they're nearly in the bottom five. I'm talking about the Bulls, Blazers, Hornets, Jazz, Pistons, and Spurs below them. That's it. The Houston Rockets are slightly above them on those rankings. The Houston Rockets, <laughs> who are basically a bunch of toddlers running around learning what NBA basketball is like. What it's like to have a job. They are guys that run around. They're figuring out how to be professionals, like where to get their clothes dry clean. You know what I mean? Like They've got to worry about a lot of other stuff besides how to execute a 2-3 zone for two minutes. You know what I mean? Like it's just So it's mind-boggling to watch them as a defensive team kind of lose their connectivity. And I wrote about this yesterday when talking about the Devin Booker injury, which we're going to get, or the timeline on his injury, which we're going to get into in the show, I do not think the main reason why they lost their edge and their relentlessness and they've lost a bit of their defensive ability is because Jay Crowder's gone, but I think about what Jay Crowder did for this team, the two things he did more than anything else, veteran leadership and keeping it things organized defensively, and then just the toughness. Yeah. And those two things are missing right now. They're glare. It's glaring how much they're missing on the team right now for how great they were at those two things last year. I get nervous when DeAndre Ayton scores 31 points and you lose by 25. That feels like a wasted effort. Um, the reality is, if you look at, I mean, I guess let's say they're top, let's say they're five starters and probably their top three bench guys. You're missing five of them right now, right? I mean, because you don't have Jay Crowder, you don't have Cam Johnson, you don't have Devin Booker, Landry Shamit, Cam Payne. Those were probably, those were your five starters from last year, your sixth man, and then two guys that were expected to be your two biggest guys off the bench this year. You're missing them. So that, that is that is part of the equation for sure. But the other reality here is there's no guarantee you're ever going to be at full strength. And you can't just keep waiting around thinking like, well, when we get to full strength, though, we're going to be so good. The Jay Crowder thing and I talked about this with Max yesterday when he was in here, and you and I have talked about it before, but it, you know, I think it's changed now from the start of the season. At the start of the season, it was, okay, they must have their reasons why they don't want Jay Crowder back, and he must have whatever his reason is why he doesn't want to be here. Whatever it is why they can't work this out, it must be really bad, or it just must be irreparable, but whatever. It's the start of the season. Well, now, now you're, what, 36 games into the season, and you are going the wrong direction quickly? 15 games ago, Suns fans were lining up Toy Craig's stats with Jay Crowder's and being like, are we really missing this guy at all? Like, yeah. That's where it was. Yeah. And, and now... Now, whether it's Jay Crowder or not, just the simple fact that there's a move there that could have been made that still hasn't been made, and you are trending the wrong way quickly, it it looks that much more egregious now, just because of what the situation is now. 
Positives from that game. Uh, one of them for sure, and the big one was that Chris Paul, DeAndre, and Mikel Bridges, who are now the big three for this team for at least a month and probably a, a little bit longer it's than the that. Only three. The, the reevaluation, the, the big three. You can call they call them the only three yes, instead the of the big three. three. I like that. The only three. Some of these guys come back. The only three. They all played well in the same game, and that has just not happened enough. To to go back to the podcast again a couple weeks ago when they went on that run, I believe of six straight, seven straight. We felt kind of stupid talking about because we're like, well, yeah, like the DA's playing really well, Chris is playing really well, Books just won West Conference Player of the Month, West Conference Player of the Week. Damian Lee's been like their best reserve, maybe, but then you talk about campaign later. Shame is starting to come out. And we just went through their entire roster. Like everyone's playing and playing well individually. Yeah. And it just seems like everyone from a team perspective, it kind of trickled down and affected everyone's rhythm individually with all the injuries and, and everything else going on. And all three of those guys played well. Chris Paul, in particular, is a guy worth mentioning because we've talked a lot on our programming the last couple of months, not just me on the, this show. Like everyone else on every other show has been talking about how he doesn't look like Chris Paul. He finally looked like Chris Paul in this game. I think that there's been maybe a half dozen points where for at least a two, three set minute segment of a game, I feel like that's the point God just manipulating everything, puppeteering everything, completely controlling a game. He scored or assisted 20 of the Suns' first 24 points of the third quarter. That's when they got it down to one. And and he really just looked like himself in there. DeAndre Ayton had a great game. He had 31. Mikel Bridges was back to contributing in all the little areas scored 17 as well they shot 42 percent from three luke all of this sounds great they still lost because you need to play defense in this league you need to this is it is a uh, it's a hard truth as, as monty williams would call it like they, they have to play defense what happened to habit stamp stamina wasn't that supposed to be like i would assume defense if it wasn't let's make that part of habit you stamina. know when like the sprint meter on a video game is empty and you're yeah. running so slow and you're like why am i running and you look down and that's what their that's, habit stamina is at right now it's like it yeah yeah you're right those three guys all played well and they still lost by 25 to washington which is concerning but also is like hey if chris paul is going to start to look like Chris Paul, let's like get going here. Let's mm-hmm. make some moves. You got six weeks from today. We come back. What prompted JJ Watt's decision to retire? You're going to hear from the future Hall of Famer next. It's Wolf and Luke, Kellen Olson in for Wolf on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Calling on because we got another Wolf and Luke Middays, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. What did you expect from me? Like watching JJ Watt play football. I do. I do. Me. I know you do. You've got two more chances to do it. Oh. Sorry, no. That's okay. And they are not he teams a good run. that are going to get you into the playoffs either. So you're really just watching JJ Watt. He's going to play like it is, though. He is. And that, yeah. if you're looking for a reason as a Cardinals fan, like, okay, how can I get like? Hey, I'm on my JJ Watt. If you're looking for motivation to watch these last two games, J.J. Watt is that motivation. Is this like your ringtone? I feel like this is your ringtone. No. People still have ringtones? No. Okay. I do, but I'm weird. All right, J.J. Watt spoke yesterday after uh, after practice, and here is some of what he said. And, you know, logically, I think one of the first questions is, okay, when, when did you make this decision? I, I think we all agree mm-hmm. that J.J. Watt didn't lose to Tom Brady on Christmas night and be like, all right, that's it, I'm leaving. He obviously... Obviously, now in retrospect, this is something he's been thinking about for a while. I don't really know the answer to that. I, I think that the passion, that, I mean, that's part of the reason, like I talk about with the passion, the energy, and the week to week, and the mental stress, and, and all of it. 
that's never changed. So I've added some incredible new pieces to my life with my wife and with my son that certainly um, take a lot of my focus and my energy. But the wins and the losses of every single week and the, the energy and the force that I put into every week and the preparation has never changed. Um, and I think that's honestly part of the reason that it's time to walk away is because I I don't want all my energy to go that anymore. I was on a different show just doing a hit on Tuesday, and one of the questions they asked me was, is this like a Tom Brady thing where he's going to retire and then come back? Or, you know, is this he doesn't have to do this to get out of Arizona if he wanted to get out of Arizona. So it's, it's not that. I don't think, Kellen, it, look, it, it may very well be, okay, this is where his priorities are in life right now, and a year from now he might be like, you know, I do miss the game. But the thing is, it's going to be really tough to come back at his position a year from now. I think I think he knows the magnitude of this decision, and he's walking away, not on top because he's one of the best defensive players ever, but still at a really high level. Yeah, I when when guys retire, I I immediately transition into like the human element of it because this is just they're making such a dramatic life choice. I talked about this on Tuesday with you. Like he's football has been his life since he was five, six years old. Now it's twenty five years into this journey for him because sometimes you hear guys talk like they're they're twenty two or whatever. They're like, this has been a job for me for sixteen years. Or he's like, well, you were six years old playing against yeah. like seven year olds. <laughs> Not really but, a job, but that's the mindset these guys have to yeah. be in the point zero zero. Zero 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 one percent of us who who played basketball and football growing up to to make it to the levels that they did, and, and I think a big thing in, the, in football that we've been seeing a lot more for ten for the last ten to fifteen years, like yes, it sucks when these guys retire a little bit earlier than it feels like, but most of me, if not all of me, is happy to see that because whenever you see guys retire in their late twenties now, like I remember Patrick Willis was one of the big ones where he was just one of the best linebackers I've ever seen. Like in my time watching there was football, that run of forty ers a few years ago that all retired in their late 20s. Navarro Bowman was yeah. another one, yeah, and, and those are two of the best linebackers I've seen like play against the Cardinals in, in that division and like I said, like in my 15, 20 years of watching the Cardinals as a fan and you know that kind of decision comes with their health and this kind of thing for JJ, like retiring at 33 like he is going to be moving better in his 50s and 60s than he would have been if he would have kept playing for another year or two, like the physical wear down that these guys get from playing a sport like that, like you just... You've done this more than me, but I remember the first ever Cardinals practice that I covered and just watching them do the contact drills at the line of scrimmage. And it's just like a war every yeah. single time the ball is snapped. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, how do you guys do this? And this is this is practice against our teammates. Yeah, you're where not they're not any credit for that. There's no accolades. I'm for not that. seeing the week 15 game or like the NFC championship when like that level of intensity is in those battles. And JJ's doing it in there and getting double teamed and just I can't imagine just like the physical wear down effect that you feel from like how he feels physically now compared to the way that he did 10 years ago like I mean I feel that way too and I'm just a human like so <laughs> I, it's just, just a, a regular a working ringtone. human being with a 9 to 5 same as you listening and all that but I'm sure everyone else can relate listening in the, like their 30s 40s 50s imagine the physical wear down of football on that and I'm just I'm just happy to hear the decision because again like I think like later in his life he's going to feel better physically than he would have if he would have played it out until maybe we saw that kind of wear down get to him as, as a player because yes he's not the guy he was five years ago but the guy five years ago is a guy like we've never really seen well, before yeah and he's also got like a good it's 
I obviously have never retired from a professional sport, but you talk to some of these guys, and, and Zoe is always great to talk about this because Zoe, like, kind of he knew it, and he had a plan, and he he played out the last year. And I wonder if JJ Watt did a similar thing where he, you know, I I respect not needing a full year like a you know just a tour where everybody's celebrating you, but also still giving us all a couple weeks. You know, wait a minute, this is it. Like, you don't get to watch JJ Watt play football after this, so go ahead and enjoy these last couple weeks. I I think it's probably good timing for him in the sense that he does have other things that he's going to like he's jumping to being a father and all that stuff like it's not just okay I'm done now what do I do uh, they also asked him if there was one singular moment that, that changed everything for him no no I mean uh, I, I definitely knew, knew that I wanted to play be playing good ball like I, I mean I've, I've obviously gone through some injuries um, over my career and that's extremely frustrating uh, because I know what I'm capable of and I know uh, who I can be and who I should be as a player and there's been years where I haven't been able to display that and I haven't been able to be that player and that hurt um, there's no question about it and being able to play good ball being able to leave good memories being able to um, have some some good film to show my son um, that that was definitely important to me and so I think that's also part of the reason that you know despite playing decent ball right now it's a good time to walk away all right, so five sacks in his last six games, seven in his last eight. He got two games left, over, under, one and a half sacks. Over. Really? He's getting at least one in his final game, and I think he'll have at least two. Okay. Like, there is there's something special about sports when it comes to greatness specifically, and J.J. Watt like personifies that with the way that he plays that position specifically, and he's going to channel that. Like We've seen him do it already in his last two games, right? Yeah. Like He's been channeling that. Like The guys like that can figure out a way to to turn it on in those kinds of moments that are meaningful to them. And this is these are two of the most meaningful games in his life, unfortunately, because he hasn't really had a chance at playoff football or anything to that level for him. So, like, these are just going to be two of the biggest games for him. But, I mean, just, like, thinking about his journey, I don't think we talked about this on Tuesday. I wanted to bring it up. Like, if you're not familiar with the story that he had, like, he went to Central Michigan, played tight end for a year. Then he just walks on to Wisconsin where he wanted to play and walks on as a defensive end, changes his position, was a two-star recruit. And and then he was just a force from there. It's it's just a crazy story that he's had. It was it was interesting too on Hard Knocks a couple of weeks ago when he was talking to Cameron Thomas and he was giving them that advice of like, hey, you know, I got to this point my first year where I basically sucked and I was trying to to do what everybody else wanted me to do, and I just finally decided, okay, I'm, if I'm if I'm not going to be good, I'm at least going to play my way. And obviously, it unlocked one of the best defensive players we have ever seen. And uh, and that was that's the sort of advice I assume, or the sort of life lessons I assume, guys like Cameron Thomas and certainly. Zach Allen have been getting from J.J. Watt this year and and uh, and last year in the case of Zach Allen. So here's um, the answer to the trivia question whenever it ultimately comes up of uh, who J.J. Watt's last sack was. Right now it's Brett Rippon. It could be Desmond Ritter or Brock Purdy. <laughs> Not exactly a list of Hall of Famers, but it's going to be one of those three. He's going to get a ball in one of these two games. I'll say that too. He'll 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 get a strip sack in one of these two games. Gotta, I'm willing to call. You got to put him in. Like, remember the year when he had? I think he had five touchdowns for the Texans. Don't they just have to throw him in there at tight end against one of these two teams? Yeah, I don't think you're missing the playoffs if you do that. You're missing the playoffs. I don't think you're making the that playoffs. hard knocks. That blew my mind. The Van Jefferson was doing the really cool thing of like, hey, how many sacks do you have? He's like, oh my god, like 110 or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, how many touchdowns? He was like eight, and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> 
<laughs> because he was like one of the Sean Jefferson, excuse me, best yeah. uh, offensive weapons uh, one of those years. All right, we come back. Speaking of hard knocks, we're going to get into that. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at six twenty six twenty right now. What did we learn from last night's episode of Hard Knocks? We'll tell you next in Hard Knocks with Hard Rock. It's Wolf and Luke, Kellen Olson in for Wolf on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. <laughs> I don't think it ever hurts to put an extra camera in somebody's face to try to get the best out of them. Previously on Hard Knocks. I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of losing at home. We need to get this together. I love y'all boys, man. Let's go, man. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Get ready for a show. Get ready for a show. This is Hard Knocks with Hard Rock. Wolf and Luke on last night's episode of Hard Knocks, in season with the Arizona Cardinals. All right, if you didn't get to see it, for whatever reason, or even if you did see it, we're going to get you all caught up with uh, Hard Knocks with Hard Knocks right here. Kellen Olsen is in for Wolf. Kellen, this is your first time doing Hard Knocks with Hard Rock. My nervous. first time saying it, apparently. I'm so. nervous. I don't like new things. Oh, good. Well, you've come to the right place. Oh, no. All right, we will start with last night's Show Stealer. Show Stealer. Uh, there was a couple candidates for this. Yes. I went uh, I went with J.J. Watts. When I was growing up, I literally thought my high school quarterback was the coolest so dude weird. on the planet. And so, like, I wanted to be a high school varsity football player. Play football behind the bleachers during the varsity game, trying to pretend to be like them, you know? Like, just trying to be like them. And then there were college dudes that I looked up to. I mean, the Badgers were, like, the coolest thing in the world. And then, obviously, once I got there, then I... And it became a pros, yeah. Did watch the episode differently now, Kellen. Everything with Watt, you watch differently now knowing, because that obviously went back into last week, watching it knowing that he's going to retire. Yeah, and you can see with the way that he was speaking about that specific thing that he's starting to think about all this. Like, again, last segment we mentioned his journey. He's mentioning looking up to what guys on Wisconsin, and you're like, well, he played for Wisconsin. No, like, he couldn't even get to Wisconsin. He had to walk on from yeah. Central Michigan to even get there. And that conversation was from before the game against Tampa Bay, so mm-hmm. a few days before he announces retirement, and obviously many days before Colt McCoy would ever realize that J.J. Watt retired. Yeah, yours? Uh, mine was Trace McSorley's dad. <laughs> and watching Trace McSorley's dad made me want to doubt having children because the anxiety that I would feel watching them play a soccer game against eight-year-olds, let alone if they ever made it to the MLS or whatever, would wreck me. Uh, you're watching Trace McSorley's dad mic'd up from Hard Knocks, knowing that the cameras are on him. He's trying his best to contain himself knowing that, but he can't help but just be a wreck the whole time because yeah. someone alongside him is like, oh, is this Trace's first year? He's like, the fourth year? Uh, first start. First start. And he's just like <laughs> trying to be nice. But you can tell just how nervous he is anytime he talks. And there was a really like um, kind of like foreboding sound clip where they were just like uh, the fumble and they gave the ball to Tom Brady with five minutes left. And he was just kind of like, oh boy. Uh, everybody knew. Yeah. And look, I know we all thought it when, if you're watching the game live, you're like, okay. But some of that was, yeah, Brady always comes back in this situation and the way this Cardinals season has gone. But you're right. I can't imagine, like, if you are the quarterback's dad and you're like, man, he had a chance to beat Tom Brady in his first ever start. And they just left the door open and we all know what's going to happen. Everybody in that stadium knew what was going to happen. All right, let's, uh, let's get to standout sound. Standout sound. I'm going to stick with uh, with J.J. Watt at first here. I had a couple. This is J.J. Uh, Watt after Zayvon Collins almost had the interception. If you had any hands whatsoever, that was a pick. 
any hands whatsoever. That was running off the field. Kidding, but not kidding. <laughs> I'm uh, going gonna, gonna to miss J.J. Watt with Zayvon Collins and J.J. Watt with Zach Allen next year. Just that his his dialogue with, with both of those guys, especially Zach Allen. Those two go everywhere together. And then this is the other one I had for standout sound, Kellen. Uh, this is Sean Jefferson talking to James Conner, of all people, about uh, about not quitting here at the end of the season. Are you going to be like everybody else? Oh, you know, we ain't good. It don't matter. Anyway, f*** that. You know what I'm saying? That's why these valleys come, man. It comes to grow us, man, mentally, physically. Grow our character, man. Like, you can't quit. And once you quit, that's for sure loss. Right? For sure loss. Don't ever quit. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of these guys will probably be feeling sorry for themselves like that. You know what I'm saying? So so when they run into after football, when they run into a rut in life, they can do the same and quit. Football is just like a game of life, right? You get knocked on your ass sometimes. Gotta get up. Life gonna deal you a blow. You know what I'm saying? So you gotta get back up. But this game right here prepares you for what's outside this building. So if you don't do it here, there's no way you're gonna do it in life. We actually just do this segment so that Aaron has to edit all this audio. I don't know how many bleeps were in that one 50-second cut right there from uh, from Sean Jefferson. But, look, look great advice. Um, ironically, he's giving it to James Conner because James Conner is probably, like, one of the three or four guys you know you don't have to say it to. But still, mm-hmm. it was I thought it was a good clip of the show. Yeah, and my first clip kind of comes from the same thing. The most My favorite part of the show has been a, we've said it a lot on, again, like going back to other hosts, not just me, like their season's over, the Cardinals season. They cannot frame it that way. Their season is still going. They've got games to play. And you see Sean Jefferson there, but also Vance Joseph in my clip, like how do you coach these guys right now and still get that kind of effort out of them? We spent our morning this morning, okay, as a staff watching the tape, and all I have to do is press play and say, he is out of position, okay, that's a bad call by me, okay, his leverage is not good enough. Those are fixable deals, right? Those are fixable. When he say, why is he loafing, VJ? How do I fix that? He say, why is he not going hard in the backside of that play? Why I say that? We out of the playoffs. So now it's going to, how are we going to fix this moving forward? If you want to be here or in this league next year or get an extension, I'm just telling you guys, the effort part, it can ever be a question. It was early in the episode, too. We had to talk about, uh, on Tuesday, we had to talk about, because we don't like to talk about injuries and all this other nonsense continuing to go on. J.J. Watt retiring, Buda Baker out for the year. Mm-hmm. Following, shortly after, with the part that just kind of cut off, he goes, you got Buda Baker and J.J. Watt right there, and then he pointed at Buda, he's like, do you think the NFL safety looks like that? Yeah. Like the pro typically, he's like, no. But then he showed a clip in the game from Denver where it's like, here's the scoreboard, three minutes left in the game, we're down two scores, okay, but like it's third and whatever, we can get You've got two guys in Buda Baker and J.J. Watt, okay? Their best trait is effort, okay? The profile for NFL safety is not that. It's 5'11", 6' tall. It's 212 pounds. That's not that. But you can't measure his heart and his effort. I was in Houston with that to J.J. His effort and how he plays the game makes him J.J. That's why he's Hall of Famer. I like that he was just pointing at Buda Baker. Like, it's not that. 
that that over there. I wonder if Buddha gets tired of being like the golden boy answer for everyone in, in these kind of situations where the leadership and the adoration of just like I'm working on is like, man, why can't everyone just work as hard as yeah. me? Like, come on, guys. I don't think Buddha's doing it to lead by example. He's like, why aren't 10 other players playing like this? We'd win the Super Bowl. One of my favorite things in the NBA is when you see a guy go to Team USA and then they come back a different player. Yeah. It's being around guys like J.J. Watt and Buda Baker and seeing like, hey, they're not all-time great just because of their talents because they work hard. And then you see how Kevin Durant works on a day-to-day basis, how Steph Curry works on a day-to-day basis. You're like, oh, that's what I have to do. Yeah. And then it changes for those young talents. My second one, speaking of my favorite NBA things, one of the best NBA Twitter clips of all time is Magic Johnson's I don't think I'm going to be here when, in fact, he was not going to be there with the Lakers anymore. DeAndre Hopkins kind of sort of maybe. Yeah, here we go. We got three more weeks in this thing together, boy. <laughs> you don't know what the future holds, dog. No, we don't. That feels like some sort of prophetic fortune cookie. We're going to oh. look back next year when their number one receiver is Greg Dortch. All respect for Greg Dortch. I'm a big I'm a Greg, big Greg Dortch fan. I don't want him to be the number one receiver next year. I don't know what they're going to do at receiver next year. Let's get to uh, the hard truth. Hard truth. Uh, I tell you, I mean, we, we knew it pretty quickly after the game that Buda Baker was hurt. And I remember the play where he's trying to make a play. Zayvon Collins trying to play make a play. And it was almost like Isaiah Simmons was running the wrong way. And they all just kind of hit into each other. But now watching it on Hard Knocks last night, you realize that's the play where Buda fractured his shoulder. And then you quickly realize or remember uh, there was still a lot of game left after that. And he just kept playing with the fractured shoulder to the point where they had Tampa Bay guys helping him up off the field. I shivered when you said fracturing his shoulder. That sounds horrible. And, and you this guy kept it. playing. Kept playing in a meaningless game. And he wasn't. They kept showing uh, footage of him. And he wasn't really giving it away that much, which I don't know how. Anytime anyone yeah, gets hurt, I get hurt after that. <laughs> grabbing it, and yeah. you saw the other offensive linemen kind of helping him up on the other team. Uh, that, that, that was really cool to see. Mine was that Cliff Kingsbury is, is currently in the middle of his, of his nightmare, and I, I know that this sounds like joking, and it sounds like it's it's, no, it's, it's been rough to watch him on the show. At Cliff and at the Cardinals and how it's been a mess this year, but just, again, to go back to the human element of things, you watch him and just how he's reacting to these plays. We've all been in situations in our life where something is going wrong, and that motivates us to work even harder to fix it. He is working even harder, and it's going even more wrong. Yeah. And I cannot imagine from a, I want to be an NFL head coach, this is my dream job type of thing, to see it go this way. And we talked about how you can see the physical wear down, but just watch his like, reactions on this show. And it's painful to watch. It really is. The the clip, I think it was two episodes ago, where he's driving into the facility in Tempe at like 3 in the morning or whatever, and he's talking about his regrets as a player and how he doesn't want to have them as a coach. That is, I don't think it's shocking that he, would say that or that he feels that way, but it does. It, it sort of colors everything now when it's like, man, nothing is going right. And you're right. He's essentially living out his nightmare right now this season. We're going to see him as an OC or a quarterback's coach somewhere in a couple of years, and he's going to be the happiest guy in the world. Like it's, it's just, it's just where he's supposed to be. I think it's not, it's not a great position for anybody right now. And real yeah. quick, it's time for the wolf counts. The wolf count. I think we had consensus this week. Last week we had three different numbers. Uh, this week it was ten. Ten, ten wolves. Through, uh, through Hard Knocks last night. They always cut to Wolf 2 when it's like the most depressing part of the game. Like there's one where he's just like, oh boy. Like they never get any of the good We had that cuts. in our montage on Tuesday and I laughed on the microphone because I just <laughs> didn't know that that kind of despair was coming from Ron Wolfley. The, one of the most jovial human beings I've ever had the pleasure of being around in my life. So hearing despair from Ron Wolfley, it makes me sad. It's, he is.
is one of the most jovial human beings and one of the people that cares the most about seeing good football be played. So there's a reason he's on vacation right now. All right, that was Hard Knocks with uh, with Hard Rock. If you are headed to the college football semifinal at State Farm Stadium, get the party started at the College Football Hall of Fame free tailgate from 10 a.m. on the Great Lawn at Sportsman's Park. Music, food, beverages, and special guests will make this tailgate party memorable and admission is free 10 a.m. on the Great Lawn at Sportsman's Park. When we come back, ASU and U of A have a combined 23-3 and record so far this season. Has that ever even happened before? Does that raise the stakes on New Year's Eve? We'll get into that next. It's Wolf and Luke Kellen Olsen in for Wolf on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, here we go, Kellen. I have a deal for you, friend. Are you ready? Let's do this. Instead of talking about okay or bad teams, let's talk about two really good ones. They're local, too. They're here. Yeah, this is... is They're in Arizona. I promise. And uh, I'm not... The Arizona sports is... Turtle Coast basketball. You know, the problem is... Usually when I do this, and you were looking up some of the times in the past, you know, decade or so when when this matchup between ASU and U of A has featured two teams with this sort of combined record, usually when I do this and I get sucked into this, okay, ASU basketball, here we go. And and look, full disclosure, ASU basketball is the first thing I ever did in media as a student at ASU calling ASU basketball games, okay? Special place in my heart. So when they rip my heart out, it hurts worse. So if they go out there and lose to U of A this weekend, I'm not going to love it. But in the past, every time ASU gets off to these great starts, you're like, here we go. And then you brought up the one from a few years ago when they lost to, I believe it was the DeAndre Ayton team when ASU was undefeated, had just beat Kansas, all that stuff. Number three in the country. Yeah. And then it was kind of a downhill run after that. Um, there's also the year when they were really good and then everything just shut down in March and there was no March Madness. I think they were really good. But anyway, we have a good matchup this weekend between two teams with a combined 23-3 and record. It's just a really simple sports thing here. Like, if you haven't been following ASU basketball or U of A basketball, here's what it is. ASU is one of the best defensive teams in the country, and Arizona is one of the best offensive teams in the country and probably is the best offensive team in the country. If you look at Arizona State, they had this horrible loss to San Francisco, which was their last game. They gave up 97 points. Outside of that, the most points in the Again, game they've given they ripped up my heart out. is 71. They, they've only given up 71. I don't think this is the start of the decline. I think that was just sort of a, just a rare brain no, I, I agree with that. I the main thing with Bobby Hurley teams this is his eighth year now and the main thing that I have been unable to grasp is what is their identity specifically we're going to talk about U of A a little bit here and there you watch them for two minutes you understand what their identity is they want to play fast and they just want to get up and down the floor and play offense and get shots up quickly and wear you down over the course of the game with their big men and you watch Arizona State now two minutes into the game they're a defensive team. They're fourth in the country in terms of the best field goal percentage allowed. One of my favorite stats about them is when you factor in layups, tips, and dunks, just shots around the rim in general, they have the best field goal percentage allowed in the country. Guys only shoot 45.6% around there. They've got a kid named Warren Washington. He's a fourth-year senior from Nevada. He's a legit seven-footer. We talk a lot about Arizona teams like Romello White, guys like that who are a little bit undersized, but they play center. We saw like even even Island Sheathen play a little bit of that five. Like They've got a legit size on this team, and they're going to need it against this Arizona team for sure. Uh, we should also point out, in case people don't realize, you went to U of A, and I obviously went to ASU, and we have been civilized during this conversation. We won't be by the end of it, don't worry. Three, actually, we probably will. 
I feel like you and I will have a civil. And if we don't, it's going to make for a real interesting final I mean, if three you hours stick up for yourself for once, Luke, then well, maybe. Okay, get out. <laughs> <laughs> this devolved quickly. Okay, do you think Arizona State can hang with Arizona? I think that's the main question and kind of what you're getting to from a narrative standpoint because you've seen this a lot. You've seen the Arizona State team in its non-conference schedule show some promise and then they get their first real testing conference, which always happens to be Arizona, which has yeah. been the best Pac-12 program in the last 10, 15 years. And, and then they kind of get that, no, 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 you're not playing with the big boys yet kind of game. I don't know if this is going to be that type of game. I'm As an Arizona fan, I'm nervous for this game. How do you feel about it's, it? It's been weird with ASU because when they when they get off to a really good start and then they play U of A, that seems to be the game where they do fall apart and it's like, okay, we're not even close to U of A and then it sends them into a bit of a tailspin and then it's just a matter of can they pull it back together in the second half of conference play to make uh, the NCAA tournament. But they do tend to hang with U of A and, and it, typically when they're not good. It's like, okay, ASU, they're having a bad year. Oh, but they just beat U of A. I mean, their record against U of A over the last, since Bobby Hurley got here, is not nearly, and I don't have it directly in front of me, but it's it's not nearly as lopsided as you would expect considering where these two programs have been. I just want to see how they hang with U of A, ideally beat them uh, uh, this weekend, and then how they react to that. Because the reason the San Francisco game was so frustrating is if you're an ASU fan, you know this, and it feels this way in football too. The second the program finally starts to turn the corner and get some recognition, they have a horrible game. So how they respond to that against U of A of all teams is going to tell me a lot. One of my favorite parts about this team is, yes, while it's new because of a lot of transfers, there are experienced transfers coming to, coming into the team. I mentioned Warren Washington, fourth-year senior. Desmond Cambridge is a big-game player. I am terrified of him in this game because if you look at his stats, he's only averaging around 11 points per game or something like that, but he had 20 in Michigan. They destroyed Michigan, who was ranked 20th in the country, and they just manhandled them. He was huge. That was a strange game. In that Michigan game. never even made a run. He had 19 weird. against Stanford, which was their biggest Pac-12 game of the season so far. And then against Creighton, another really good team, he had 19 points as well. He's averaged 7.5 threes per game over his career. You're going to see him as an ASU fan take a shot or two where you're like, I don't know, Desmond, but that's who he is. He's he's that type of guy, the no, 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 yes, shooting guy, but... As, a, as an opposite, as an opposing fan, those are the guys that scare me because if those guys start to get going, that's where you're in trouble against this team because they can really defend his, his brother, Devin Cambridge, who's in here as well. He's a fourth year senior. He's the type of athletic big wing spark plug guy that you need against this type of Arizona team because not only does Arizona have really good size for the college game, they've got NBA size. Like Umar Balo, Azulis Tubelis, their front court is tremendous and they're both like NBA size. And, and you can't just look at a team like Arizona State which is a, a, a mid-sized sort of team for where they are in the conference to expect to have the NBA caliber of athletes and size to compete with the team, but they kind of do. And, and if this game is low scoring, then ASU is probably going to win it. If, if Arizona gets it up in the 80s, 90s, they're going to win. They're averaging 90 points per game, Arizona is. That's second in the country. But like I said, Arizona State, if you take away the San Francisco game, the most points they've given up in a game this year is 71. It is not going to be somewhere in the middle. It's either going to be slowed down, which Arizona doesn't want, or it's going to be up to speed, which is what Arizona will want. This is Bobby Hurley on with Bickley and Murata two days ago, talking about this uh, this matchup with U of A. Well, they're a very good basketball team, and uh, you know you touched on you know just the size around the basket, and you know Balo has really tightened his game up for them, and uh, you know you talked about Tabulas being one of the best, I think, uh, transition running bigs in college basketball. So you know, I think there's a lot of things that we need to address. Uh, 
defensively, making sure that you know, we take care of the interior. Uh, you know, we've had you know one of the top interior field goal percentage defenses in the country, and you know we're going to need every bit of that on Saturday. And then uh, just making sure we have floor balance, and uh, we're not giving them live ball turnovers where they could go and and uh, and score some easy baskets and get confidence. So it's a lot of things from a defensive standpoint that we're going to have to uh, to to prepare for uh, because Arizona presents a lot of challenges to one of the best offensive teams in the country. To go to some of Hurley's points, this is a very black and white basketball game. I talked about those layups, tips, dunks, the percentage, 45.6% again for what Arizona State allows. Arizona shoots 70.9%. The difference there, over 25% is crazy. So there's going to be, like the line, in, it's drawn in the sand. Umar Balo is one of the most improved players in the country. He drew, I threw my remote probably six times watching him last year. I jump up and down and parade around the house now. I can't when he's picture playing. you jumping up and down and parading you, anywhere. You should watch me. I don't. I'm thinking about going to the game on Saturday, but I don't want people to see me and how I react publically to the Arizona games. Oh, but I think that, you should. I, it might just gonna happen. Camera on you the whole Umar time. Umar Balo is shooting 74 percent from the field. That is second in the country. He's averaging 18 and 9. He's not even their leading scorer. Two Bellises. He's averaging 20 points per game. That's fourth among fou- power five players. I hope players. they both miss all their shots on Saturday. He mentioned turnovers. Uh, turnovers have been an issue for them. Seven games with at least 15 turnovers for ASU and then on the other side of it Arizona takes 25 free throws a game that is 14th in the country so again Arizona State they're a very very good defensive team but like we've said with every kind of Arizona Arizona State matchup at this point in the year when you get 10-15 games in ASU needs to prove to us how real they are it's like okay can you remain disciplined can you protect the rim like you're supposed to and can you take care of the ball because if they do they're going to be in really good shape and they could win this game they definitely absolutely could I would roll your eyes and just be like we're going to smoke those guys again just like over and over again I I would do that to all my ASU friends all the time when this matchup comes up and I'm the one who watches these basketball games and says like I think ASU has a real shot in this one I really do well I really like I said I want to see there's a lot here from an ASU perspective you want to see them beat U of A first and foremost U of A is number five in the country also you want to see how they respond to the San Francisco game because that was embarrassing but they are 11 and 2 so you can have a bad game the biggest thing with ASU traditionally has been how do you respond and so I'll even say this too if they somehow lose to U of A, which, you know, better not happen. I want to see how they respond against Washington State and Washington coming out of that. You can lose a, a basketball game in a, in a college season and not have it derail your entire year. Well, this rivalry presents the opportunity for Arizona State every year to start off their conference schedule with a bang. They get to play the best team in the conference nearly every year, and if they beat them, they can kind of get rolling off of that. They haven't much in the past, but again, I think they have a really good shot. This is a game worth watching on Saturday. All right, we come back over to the NBA. Will Devin Booker's injury turn the Phoenix Suns' patience into urgency? We're going to hear what the Suns' GM had to say, and we'll react to that next. It's Wolf and Luke Kellen Olsen in for Wolf on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.